stanza five was a little bit rough of a recitation in my opinion but got it done i tried to do these in one take but on to the line by line analysis of stanza five first line the heart of man is not compound of lies but draws some wisdom from the only wise okay so as usual first thing to note in these first two lines is only wise wise is capitalized here so we know what that symbolizes we have the only wise just like the only will the over will the archetypical will and now we have the archetypical wise but it's the actualization of the arch of the archetypical it is god the original arch the pure original archetype of wisdom i am that i am which i am the wise essentially so the heart of man is not compound of lies So we could look at that in a simple way, I guess. Um, we could just say that man was not created in a deceptive way. Even though in this conceptualization we've fallen from grace. But the original compounding of the creation of man and at the most fundamental level the heart of man all of that that went into that creation was not was not deceptive and so we look at it when god completed each day of creation he said and it is good so the innate nature of man is true now can we can we extrapolate off of that and say that man is inherently honest loving good i'd say we could assume that it's good honest is a kind of slippery word but but draws some wisdom from the only wise. Okay, so again here, we have the breath coming into us along with wisdom. So this wisdom, what? how can we define wisdom here? I was, I was listening to a Sam Harris waking up podcast a, a while ago and I can't remember exactly what his guest's name was but the book that this guy wrote was talking about what is wisdom and the way that he described it was it's being able to hold two seemingly paradoxical views simultaneously and finding Finding the mean between them. Finding how they integrate. 
So, for example, we have the if we look at at society and the and the individual, we have individual and we have collective. This kind of lends itself to what we're talking about in this poem. We have the individual, the the individual mind, the individual will, the individual concept or sub-creation. And then we have the collective will, sub-creation. And if, if you're someone like Ayn Rand, who I'm a fan of, at least her novels, if not her person, but in, a, in the attitude of someone like Ayn Rand, it's hard to see a lot of wisdom in that type of philosophy because there's no finding of the mean between something like individuality and the collective reality of how that in, of how that individual is fed by the collective and how the individual feeds into the collective i like to think of this i'm not sure if it's has anything to do with it because i haven't look, looked into it in any depth but i like to think of the yin and yang symbol as kind of embodying this type of wisdom where the light and the dark aspects they feed into each other and wisdom is found when you're able to integrate them into each other so draws some wisdom from the only wise so that type of wisdom and that's a very narrow conception of what wisdom is but that true platonic form of wisdom is found in god and we gain that wisdom by tapping into that innate nature of ours that is reflective of god next line and still recalls him. So I was always brought up to capitalize him when we're referring to God, but it's not capitalized here. And I've seen that a lot in different versions of the Bible. That some sometimes they capitalize the when they're describing God and sometimes they don't. And I, I was always curious about that growing up. I always thought it was kind of a, a a petty shoving in of of dogmatic respect, maybe, given towards God. But I've come to see this in the Platonic sense as being completely gr grammatically... It makes sense grammatically for me to capitalize him because it is the him. So it's a pronoun for the thing, the him. But in here we get wisdom from him. And even though we've been separated, we still recall him. And there's echoes that are pursuing our modern song. Next. Though now long estranged, 
man is not wholly lost, nor wholly changed. So we still have that intuition that pulls us towards virtue and towards, towards fulfillment with the ideal, with God. And even though we've fallen and we've corrupted ourselves to a certain degree, we can always find that within ourselves. Next line. Disgraced he may be, yet is not dethroned. Again, disgraced. Yet he still has this... This role that God assigned man at the very beginning. Is this noble role of being a steward of the planet. Of earth. Next line. And keeps the rags of lordship once he owned. Uh, I like this. The way he words it is rags of lordship. So we've taken them off and kind of just thrown them into the corner. And sometimes we forget about it. But they're still there waiting for us. And maybe one day we'll pick them off of the floor in the corner and shake them off maybe put them through the wash a few times and we can we can assume that role again and don that clothing again his world dominion by creative act not his to worship the great artifact his world do dominion We've obviously done a lot to change the world, to accommodate us. And we do this through the creative act. Essentially all art, arte, in Greek it just means anything made by the hand of man. And so all art is creative, and it's what allows us to have dominion, stewardship over this nature. Next line. Not his to worship the great artifact. Man, sub-creator, the refracted light. So here we have that sub-creator concept. And so in line above that, great artifact. Artifact is capitalized here. <laughs> There's just so many of these capitalized words and someday maybe I will actually dive into that and find out exactly how Tolkien and Lewis used these. What intention they had behind it. Because um, Lewis talks about Plato in The Last Battle Jeez, oh, let's see. There's a character that sees the revelation of Aslan and the reality of what creation truly is, and he says, I guess Plato was right. And so Lewis talks about Plato in that, 
I don't really recall too much of Plato in his in his apologetics. So I I wonder how big of, of an aspect of these two men's sentiments were formed around that platonic structure. But great artifact. The great artifact here, I think, is I think he's saying the great artifact is man. So man is the central evidence of creation. I wonder if that's the best way to define the word artifact. So here, I'm going to try and break down this word here. Arte, so the work of man, and then artifact, so it's a so it's a result of a creation process. And the primary artifact of that creation process is man here. Man, sub-creator, the refracted light through whom is splintered from a single white. We have the refracted light, so. From whom is splintered from a single white to many hues and endlessly combined. So anyone who's, who's familiar with the Lord of the Rings books will remember when, after the Battle of Helm's Deep, Gandalf and Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, uh, Theoden, they go to Isengard to finish off Saruman. Saruman is in his tower, and Gandalf confronts him alongside Gimli and Aragorn and Theoden. And Gandalf notices that uh, Saruman has changed his garb. He's changed his robes from white to a subtle uh, rainbow amalgam amalgamation. So it says in the book that it's it's very subtle. So you think it's white when you first look, but then in, in the way Saruman moves, you see that it's this. It's been broken into every color of the rainbow. And so Saruman, so Gandalf says to Saruman, what have you done? Why have you shattered this white into many colors? And Saruman says, he's trying, he essentially says he's trying to move past white. And then Gandalf re replies and says something along the lines of, a white that is broken is no longer white. It's no longer pure. It's, it's no longer honest. And so what do we have there? We have... Saruman trying to move past his nature and assume something, assume a role or a nature that wasn't meant for him. Maybe we can look at the way Gandalf moved from Gandalf the Grey to, to Gandalf the White. Now, that wasn't Gandalf just <laughs> flippantly finding a 
white robe and taking his gray one off and assuming this new color. Because these colors mean something and they are these wizards are embodiment of higher spiritual beings that have been assigned roles by El Iluvatar to function in a certain way in Middle-earth. And so what Saruman is doing is he is he is forsaking that role and assuming one in kind of a, a satanic way. He's trying to create himself, and he's trying to embody all of creation by assuming every color. So it's, it's important to know that when looking at this line. Through whom is splintered from a single white to many hues and endlessly combined. So we were originally this white. We were, we were pure, and we were acting in accordance with our nature. <laughs> and obviously, okay, so if you look back at ev at evolution, we, we, we all started as black-skinned. This has nothing to do with skin. This is a concept of white. So we broke ourselves into many hues and endlessly combined them. So what would it mean to endlessly combine them? Again, this is just seeing at how fractured and disjointed our world has become because we've kind of shuffled the deck after fracturing this initial purity. So, in endlessly and, and endlessly combined, in living shapes that move from mind to mind. So now we're kind of moving into this These forms, these look at it in a in a platonic form kind of way. We've shifted them, and these concepts, these forms, move from mind to mind, and they make it shuffled again every time we move them from mind to mind. But that's what we do when we engage in language, when we engage in every facet of language, every facet of communication. Next line. Though all the crannies of the world we filled with elves and goblins, though we dared to build gods and their houses out of dark and light. So all the crannies of the world we filled with elves and goblins. Here again we have this idea of sub-creator. In Tolkien's view, God has given us license to fill the world with elves and goblins. So we, we, we have our innately dark and light aspects that go into our very creation. Even though, in a larger sense, we are created good. We have these potentialities in ourselves. And they may move from, from potentiality to actuality, depending on how we choose to use our will. So here, we have, we filled the larger creation, 
and we assumed our sub-creator role, and we filled that creation with light and dark aspects that reflect our innate potentiality. Though we dared to build gods in their houses out of dark and light. So we dared to build, we, we dared to presume we were prideful enough to imagine that we can put ultimate reality into little boxes. Here, gods is lowercase, so we're talking about idols. We're talking about that more abstracted idea of gods as being the top of the salience hierarchy, the top of our attention and value hierarchy. That, those are our gods. And any time we try and bring those down and put them into a box that we can control, things don't tend to go very well. Next line. And so the seed of dragons, twas our right. <laughs> Here we go. It's, it's, it's God giving us the capability as sub-creators to do these things. We have a right. And one might see this line and think it's sarcastic. Think, think that Tolkien is saying it was our right as, as an excuse, as saying, like, that's what we told ourselves, and it's not true. You could interpret it that way, and I think that's possible. But I, I like to think of this line as being, yes, we had a right, we had that potentiality in our very creation to sow the seed of dragons. Twas our right. Used or misused is the next line. So yeah, so I said you might interpret it that way, but that used or misused kind of makes me think that that's kind of out, out the window. Next line, the right has not decayed. We make still by the law in which we are made. So even though we've, going back up to stanza one, even though we've created this deterministic, stale, and inane universe of conceptions, and we've, we've in a way forgotten that we have this right of subcreation. It's still there. And perhaps in reaching back, we can create new awareness of that potentiality and become that initial white again. We make still by the law in which we're made. It all goes back to our innate nature. We are sub-creators, and we have a role to play. And hopefully we are wise enough to know how to assume that role responsibly and honorably and nobly. All right. That was stanza five, and I'll be back with stanza six very soon. See ya.